This morning, we are doing a, a quick look at Matthew 18, verses 1 to 5. And we thought this would be appropriate for this morning, VBS morning, because we have been um, full of children this week and um, have been watching our children. And so we want to hear what Jesus has to say about children. So we turn to Matthew 18, verses 1 to 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child who he put among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus says, as we just heard, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. These are really powerful words from our Lord. Jesus cares a great deal about children. And he doesn't just care about children for who they will someday become, but for who they are now. Children, he says, aren't just the future of the church, as we sometimes speak of them, but rather children are our models. Children presents Jesus presents children to us adults as models for how we are to experience God. If we want to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, we must change and become like the children. So what does this mean, and how do we do it? How do we become like children? That's the main question we'll address this morning. And no, don't worry, it's not going to require you to come up here on stage and jump around to VBS songs. Though if you wanted to, you are absolutely welcome to do that. It's kind of fun and liberating. (laughs) But before we dive into this main question, how do we become like children, it will be helpful to first define the second part of Jesus' phrase, entering the kingdom of heaven. For Jesus says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what does this mean, entering the kingdom of heaven? We've talked about this here at Heartland many times before, but it is so important that it's worth repeating over and over again. So here it is. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, as Jesus also speaks of it, is not simply life after death. It absolutely includes that, yes. But it is more than that, too. The kingdom of heaven, as Jesus speaks of it throughout the Gospels, is the rule and reign of God. It is the rule and reign of God, and it is something that we can experience now, in this life. That means that we don't have to wait until we die. 
or until Jesus returns, whichever comes first, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, it is true that we will not experience this kingdom in its fullness until Christ returns. When Christ returns to usher in that new reality to restore all things in which there will be no more sin or pain or death, we yearn for that, don't we? To experience the kingdom in its fullness. When that happens, Christ will rule over all creation, including us, and we will all be as God intends us to be. That's when we will experience the kingdom of heaven in all its perfection, in all its glory, and that will be a beautiful day. And yet that's not all the story. That's not all there is. Because Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is among us. The kingdom of heaven is within us now, in this life. That means that we can experience God's kingdom, God's rule and reign in this life just as we are. So how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we enter the kingdom of heaven? Not just one day in the future, but now, today. Jesus tells us clearly, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So who here wants to experience more of God in your life? Anyone? A few people do. That's, that's good. <laughs> A few people do. I don't know about you, but I want to experience more of God's rule and reign, which leads to more peace, more joy, more purpose in life to live as God intends under God's rule. Then our instructions are clear. We must change and become children. So how do we do that? Well, the answer is found in the very next verse. Jesus says, whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humility. Humility is the key to unlocking kingdom of heaven realities in our lives, in this life and for entering life eternal. Humility is the key to greatness in God's economy. Pastor Brandon spoke about the importance of humility two weeks ago as he unpacked the un Apostle Paul's departing words, I served the Lord with all humility and with tears. As Pastor Brandon said, humility is essential to life with God. It is essential. Without humility, all will be lost, St. Teresa of Avila wrote. And to learn how to be humble, Jesus points us to children. The truth is, books upon books could be written about all the ways that children teach us humility. This morning, I'm going to focus on just three. Three ways that we, adults, might become like children, and that, so that we might more fully experience God's rule and reign in our lives. Three ways. Are you ready? Okay. The first is this. First one. Children model humility for us by acknowledging their dependence. Children model humility by acknowledging their dependence. Two weeks ago um, in that sermon, Pastor Brandon gave us this definition of humility. Humility is thinking about yourself honestly. Thinking about yourself honestly. 
In other words, humility is having an accurate picture of who you really are. No more, no less. Children tend to be really honest about who they are, don't they? Unlike adults, most children, especially younger children, don't puff themselves up. They know they are dependent upon others for their well-being. They're not ashamed of it. They don't try to hide it. They acknowledge and accept their dependent state. And that makes them willing to ask for help. Sorry, I'm going to take a moment just to fix this. My hair does not tend to cooperate with the microphone. So let me just fix it so I'm not messing with it so much. There we go. Okay, so... Children acknowledge and accept their dependent state, and that makes them willing to ask for help. So for anyone, I'm sorry, I'm just going to give myself some help here and pull this wire back. <laughs> you got it? I'm going to ask for help from Brandon. <laughs> you got Do it? you have any scissors? <laughs> just shave the side of my head with that help. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Oh, maybe not. All right. Just ignore it. <laughs> okay, we'll ignore it. All right. So we'll leave that as it is. Don't let that be the main thing you remember from this sermon. <laughs> Block out that last minute. Okay, so for those of you who may not know, uh, most of you probably do, but Brandon and I have been blessed with three children. They're four and a half, two and a half, and four months. So trust me, at these ages, our children have no problem asking for help. No problem whatsoever. So most of my days are filled with, Mom, can you get me? Mom, can you do this? Mom, can you do that? Mom, can you, Mom, can you, Mom? You know what that's like. <laughs> for Josiah, our baby, it comes in the form of crying. Crying when he's hungry, when he needs a diaper change, when he needs sleep, when he wants attention. It's just ask, 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 ask all day long, right? Now, even though it can be tiring for me because I'm a limited human being, it's, it's not tiring for God, who is limitless. God doesn't mind us asking for help over and over and over again. He actually loves it. But even for me, as a limited human, the truth is I don't despise my children or look down on them for not being able to reach the crackers on the high shelves or not being able to change their own diapers or buckle their own little bike helmets that are somehow are so hard to buckle. Have you ever tried that? Man, I'm not, I'm not um, mad at them for not being able to do that. They're simply not capable. They know it, I know it, and I am happy to help. So if I, as a limited human being, am happy to help, Think how much more God is happy to help us. God knows we're limited, that we're not capable of everything. God is happy to help us. Children know, children know that they are utterly dependent upon others for their well-being. As long as there's no abuse or neglect, children will naturally ask for the help they need. Why is it then that when we become adults, we muster up this false notion that we can and should do everything on our own. Why? It's not who we are. We adults tend to think that personal independence is a virtue. We feel shame or embarrassment when we need help. But independence is simply not an accurate, accurate picture of who we are. It's not actually thinking of ourselves honestly. 
Because the truth is we are utterly dependent upon God for every aspect of our lives. And humans, we are also interdependent upon one another. We were made to live in community, to bear one another's burdens, to care for and support one another. Like children, we adults are also dependent creatures, dependent upon God first and foremost, and then dependent upon one another. God acts through one another to provide for us. Yet we live in this world that tells us to be self-sufficient, as if that were even possible. What we don't tend to realize is that at the core of this cultural false concept of self-sufficiency is sin. It's the sin of pride. Pride is a very dangerous sin that keeps us from God. In fact, St. Augustine, a prominent church father from the 4th century, said that pride is the archetypal sin. It's the archetypal sin, the sin from which all other sins proceed. Augustine said it was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. It was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. Humility requires us to acknowledge that we actually are not and cannot be self-sufficient. We are completely dependent upon God, and that's okay. That's a good thing. That leads us to seek out God for all our needs, to acknowledge God as the giver of all good gifts for body and soul. And humility leads us to acknowledge that we need each other, and that's okay. That's a good thing. Even God himself is a communal being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we are made in God's image. That's an accurate picture of ourselves. Children know they are dependent. They aren't hesitant or embarrassed to ask for help. And may we do likewise. May we turn to God at all times and all things, recognizing that we cannot do this life without him. And may we turn to one another, acknowledging that God has made us to care for and support one another. So that's the first way that we become humble like children, is by acknowledging and accepting our dependence, our dependence upon God and one another. Second way. First way is humility. Second way is through curiosity. Curiosity. A second way that children model humility for us adults is through curiosity. Have you ever noticed how many questions children ask? BBS leaders who have been here this week, are you tired of the questions? <laughs> Our two-year-old Bella is in the why phase. Any parents, grandparents remember that? Why? 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 <laughs> Whew, it's, it's really fun. And our, our four-year-old, Lily, she's in this stage of extreme curiosity. She wants to know where everything comes from, how everything works, how everything um, is made, what everything is called. She thinks there's a factory to make everything. She wants to know what every, every food comes from, what animal, like everything. Brandon and I have been reminded how much um, we ignored or have forgotten basic elementary science. So any um, elementary science teachers, send them our way, because how does photosynthesis work again? I, I don't know. <laughs> so many questions. And fielding all of these questions all day long with our children can be tiring, yes. 
but it is also a huge gift to me. It's a gift because my children are awakening me to new wonder, new wonder at creation and at life itself. So why, in fact, Bella, do bunnies hop like that? I don't know. What is that bug? I've never stopped to look at it. Wow, that is really weird. (laughs) That is a strange creature that God made. How exactly does maple syrup form in the tree? Lily asked yesterday. Where do we get this syrup that goes on our pancakes? How does it make, how does the tree make it? How do we get it? I don't know. We will, we'll find out. (laughs) Kids are curious about all sorts of things, about people, places, customs, you name it. They approach others, other people, and the world, not through a lens of judgment, not through a lens of um, taking things for granted, but rather through the lens of appreciation and wonder and delight. We adults would do well to follow their example, to approach the world with wonder and appreciation and delight. Kids also teach us to ask questions. Did you know that throughout the Gospels, Jesus asked, let me just feel that, did have any idea how many questions Jesus asked? Any, any clue? The Gospels are not that long, you know. 307. In those short four books, 307 questions. (laughs) That's a lot of questions in those red letters of Jesus. Get this, Jesus is asked, people ask him, 183 questions. Do you know how many of those questions he answers? Three. (laughs) He answers three questions. That means for every one question that Jesus answers directly, he asks a hundred more questions, literally. Jesus loves questions. Jesus was like children. He asked lots of questions, and he teaches us to do the same. A primary sign of true humility is being willing to continue learning and growing and changing, and curiosity and questions help us to do that. So that's the second way children model humility for us, through their curiosity. So we have humility, curiosity, and then our third one is gratitude. The third way that children model humility for us adults is through their natural propensity toward gratitude. Now, have you ever noticed that children, especially young children, tend to be really joyful? (laughs) It's one of my favorite parts of having little kids. They just have this frequent, uncontrolled, joy-filled laughter at the smallest things. It's just hilarious. One reason that kids are so full of joy, so full of laughter, is that at the root of of joy is gratitude. Kids are naturally grateful beings, so they find more joy in life. Now, I know what you might be thinking. You haven't spent time with my kids (laughs) or the kids I know because they're not grateful. I absolutely get it. Uh, We are having to constantly remind Lily and Bella to verbalize their gratitude, to say thank you to us, to others, and most importantly, to God. But when we do ask them to name what they are grateful for, the lists that they come up with are never-ending. Have you ever experienced this? It... At dinner time, uh, we're in a practice of trying to ask, go around the table for our whole family and say, what are you grateful for today? 
um, we try to have them say at least three things that they're grateful for today. We, the parents, will be honest, sometimes have to rack our brains to think of three things. Our natural propensity is towards complaining. <laughs> it's easier to name three complaints than three gratitudes, if we're honest. But our four- and two-year-old girls, their gratitude lists don't stop at three. For sure, they keep going and going and going and going and going and going, going. So have you ever heard a toddler pray? Yeah, it goes something like this. Thank you, God, for the grass and for the sun and for the blueberries and for peanut butter and for chairs and for bowls and for the fan and for the caterpillars. <laughs> and we said, Bella, okay, wrap it up. <laughs> they will go on and on. If you're in a hurry to eat, don't ask your toddler to pray. But this loops back to our previous point. If the children are endlessly full of wonder, full of wonder about people and the world around them. And this leads them to appreciate and be grateful for so many things that we adults take for granted. Yes, Bella, it is a great thing that we have chairs to sit on. Isn't that a really great thing? Thank you for pointing that out. So children's gratitude, it also it ties into their dependence, which was our first point. We're going to bring it back as we wrap it up. So children's gratitude ties into their dependence. Because children acknowledge their state of dependence, they are more easily able to receive. They're really good receivers. They receive the world as a gift, and they are grateful. They haven't yet developed this adult-like pride that makes them falsely think they have earned what has simply been given to them. Thus, children have, us, have much, much to teach us about receiving grace. Because all of life is grace. All of life is a gift from God to be received. I recently read a book by a woman named Ann Voskamp titled 1,000 Gifts. Anyone heard of it or read it? I see a few nods. Yeah, it's a really good book. And the premise of it is that this, this woman, Ann, she's a seemingly put-together woman, married, five children. She found one day that she simply didn't want to get out of bed. And she dug deeper and, and found that the reason for that is she simply didn't want to be alive. That was the state of her reality. Anne had experienced some intense suffering in her past, and as a result, she struggled with crippling anxiety and anger and resentment toward God. She is a devout Christian, but she didn't know how to move forward through these debilitating emotions, this anger, this anxiety, that is, until a friend invited Anne to write down 1,000 gifts, 1,000 things she was grateful to God for. And they couldn't be the generic things like my family, my friends, my food, etc. They had to be specific for the way that the sunlight reflects off the pond, for the feeling of warm oatmeal in my stomach on a cold winter morning, for the smell of my children's skin, things like that. So as Anne got to work noting these gifts, intentionally looking for them and writing them down, her mindset completely shifted. It shifted from anger and anxiety to joy and delight, from resentment toward God to feelings of utmost gratitude to God for all these gifts. And along the way, Anne says that her five children were some of her best guides because children are masters at appreciating God's gifts all around them. 
So children model for us humility by teaching us to be grateful. We'll close with this as we transition to the Lord's table. So in this book, Anne writes that as she practiced and processed this theme of gratitude, she was drawn again and again to Jesus' words to his disciples on the night on which he was betrayed. Jesus said, and he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. He took bread and gave thanks. In Greek, the words he gave thanks is eucharisteo. Eucharisteo. That's why many traditions call the meal we are about to celebrate the Eucharist. It comes from eucharisteo. He gave thanks. At the root of the word eucharisteo is the Greek word charis, which means grace. To give thanks is to see and to receive God's grace. To see and to receive God's grace. And get this, a derivative of the word charis, meaning grace, is kara, which means joy. Grace and joy, absolutely interconnected. Specifically, giving thanks for God's grace is what leads to joy. Giving thanks for God's grace is what leads to joy. So that's what we do at the Eucharist, the table of thanksgiving. We remember and we give thanks for God's grace. God's grace is poured upon us in thousands of ways, day after day. But at the very center, the very center of God's grace is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what we remember and celebrate in this meal, the Eucharist, the table of thanksgiving.